The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Any Jewish related question of any kind, you could be a Hasidic Jew who differs deeply with me and you want to tell me why I'm wrong. You could be a Christian with questions about Israel today. You could be a Muslim wanting to challenge my beliefs about Israel being restored by God. Whoever, 866-348-7884. As long as it's Jewish related, it's welcome warmly on our Thursday broadcast. Okay, we will talk about some news items relating to Israel. There has been recent war between Israel and Hamas and other Palestinian terrorist organizations. Right now, it has been contained. Right now, there is truce. There's not been a high loss of life. May it be so that it continues and may grace be extended to victims on the ground. May people look up to God as their one and only hope in the midst of this. I recently received an an email from dear friends in Israel, husband and wife who have lived in the land for decades. They have spent most of their lives in the land. I imagine they're my age or a little bit older and they've spent two-thirds or more of their lives living in Israel, raised their kids in Israel. Their kids have fought in Israeli military. These are lovers of Yeshua and lovers of Israel. And in the email, they were sharing the great grief that they have over their nation. They were sharing how, in many ways, things are so much worse within Israel, that there's more corruption in the government than they've ever seen. And they just went through a list of everything that's wrong within the nation of Israel. Again, as lovers of Israel who live in the land, not critics, not anti-Zionists, but those who believe that God brought the Jewish people back to the land, those who believe that God will bring the Jewish people back to himself through Yeshua, those who believe that Israel is falsely accused and maligned in the news all the time. They just shared the depth of burden and concern they have for the nation. And there are Christians who will say, rightly so, Israel does not deserve God's blessing. Look, if we lived in Israel today, let, here, let, let's say that we are believers now living in Israel instead of living in America, those of us who live in America. So in America, we are grieved over many of the government policies. We are grieved over much of the direction of the nation. We are grieved over the immorality. We are grieved over the sexual perversion and on and on. We are grieved over the violence. Well, now put us in Israel, all right? Put us in the land of Israel. Now, there is much to appreciate in Israel. There are massive things to appreciate in Israel, especially in contrast with surrounding nations. Israel is like an oasis in many, many ways. And Israel tries in many ways to be fair and to be just in the midst of a very volatile, difficult situation. No doubt about it. But how would we feel, say, about gay activism in Israel? We'd be grieved over it just like we are here in America. How would we feel about abortion in Israel? We'd be grieved as we are here in America, except we would not find a strong pro-life movement in Israel, the way we have it in America, that would be much more in the minority. Uh, what about sexual immorality in general? What about porn? What about, you just go down the list of things. What about drug use? What about this? What about that? 
and you'd find the same problems that you see in America in many ways in Israel. One of my colleagues lives in Tel Aviv, belongs to a local gym there, and told me half-jokingly that he thinks he's the only straight guy working out in the gym there, that it's, it's filled with gay men. Israel has come to prominence as a manufacturer of gay porn. Yeah, Israel. If, if you are a female soldier in the IDF, you can get free abortions. If you get pregnant while you're in the IDF, you can just get a government-sponsored abortion if that, if that happens to you, and that's, that's your choice. Uh, I mean, it goes on. I remember, with, certainly within the last 10 years, maybe five years back, maybe a little longer, that a major survey was done in a gay publication as to which cities in the world were the most gay-friendly, all right? And they either had the top 10 or 20, whatever it was. Number one, way off the charts. I mean, number two, three, four, they were close. But number one, way off the charts was Tel Aviv. It was Tel Aviv. So I say all that to say that I do not believe that Israel today deserves the blessings of God. It's not a matter of under Sinai law, God saying, I will bless you if you obey and I will curse you if you disobey. And because Israel is so obedient, therefore God is blessing. Now, there are religious Jews, a growing number, rapidly growing number of religious Jews, ultra religious Jews in Israel who abhor much of what we abhor, who have very similar moral values to our moral values of course, they abhor Jesus. The Jesus they know is not the Jesus of the New Testament. They abhor the Jesus they know and the Jesus of church history and the Jesus falsely associated with leaders in the Holocaust. They abhor that Jesus. It's the only Jesus they know. So we have to reach them with the message of who Yeshua really is. But of course, they would hotly and strongly oppose someone like me. But even within their communities, with all their devotion, they have problems like everybody else has. They have issues going on in secret like everybody else has. Thankfully, in many ways, they are trying to uphold Torah and do what is right and honor the Sabbath and honor family laws and things like that that they understand are important to the Lord. I recognize that. But even there, even if they're all righteous, it, it's, it's still, what, 10, 15% of the nation. And as I said, among them, like every other religious group, there's hypocrisy and sin and corruption as well. Israel needs the Lord. Israel needs Jesus. You know, this reminds me of years ago, my friend, Rabbi Shmuley Batech, before he was my friend, before we knew each other, came into a lot of prominence with his friendship with Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson reached out to him. He became a counselor to him. And Rabbi Batech had been known before that, but this is what really catapulted him to be known among the stars and all these other people and the rich and the famous, etc. And you know what he told Michael Jackson, who had some Jehovah's Witness background, as I understand it, Shmuley, the rabbi, told Michael Jackson, and he said this publicly, Michael, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Well, now I am saying something that Rabbi Boteach would not say, Israel needs Yeshua. Israel needs to turn to God and repent. You say, well then, Mike, why do you support Israel? Why do you stand with Israel? 
Why do you believe that God brought Israel back to the land? After all, God said in passages like Deuteronomy 30, if you will repent, then I will bring you back. After I scatter you, I will bring you back. Obviously, there's not been national repentance. Israel was founded largely by secular people. Most of the religious leaders, Jewish leaders in the world opposed Zionism in its early stages. And many of the views changed post-Holocaust and with the, the establishment of Israel. And many more were, record, were willing to see this as the beginning of, of a messianic restoration. But many other religious Jews to this day oppose the modern state of Israel. So why do I stand with Christian Zionists as a messianic Jew and say, I believe that God brought them back to the land because of the word, because of the word and because of grace. Can I ask you a question as a Christian? Do you live by grace every day? Do you get what you deserve every day? When you stand before God on that great day, will you say, Lord, give me what I deserve or I, I come to you through the blood of Jesus, right? So we live by grace. If the Church of America got what it deserved, we, we'd be smoked. We'd be out of here. All right, so <clears throat> what do I believe what I believe? Well, the scriptures, plainly. Most plainly in passages like Ezekiel 36, where, where God brought the Jewish people back from Babylon, but there's much of that chapter that was never fulfilled. Many of the promises that God gave to Israel in exile about coming back to the land, some of what was promised was fulfilled, but most of it is still to be fulfilled, all right? And God said there, I'm not doing this for your sake because you're unclean. I'm doing this for my name's sake because my name is being defiled. With, with you being an exile that makes me, the God of Israel, look bad. This is what he's saying in the scriptures. The Lord's temple, Yahweh's temple in Jerusalem, destroyed. Yahweh's people scattered in the, in the, the lands of, of the other gods, the pagan gods. It made it look like those gods had power. And he said, I'm going to tell you in advance what I'm going to do. You have this especially in Isaiah 40 through 48. I'm going to tell you in advance what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to bring you back to the land. I'm going to establish you there. And he says in Isaiah 52, his name is continually blasphemed because they're in exile, Ezekiel 36. He's doing it because of the holiness of his name. So this is because of God's sovereign purposes and his end time vision to bring Israel back and to bring the Messiah back and to bring the nations into salvation. This is part of the end time plan of God, but Israel exists by grace. I stand with Israel for that reason. It doesn't mean I stand against others, but I stand with Israel because I recognize God has brought them back and I recognize it's Satan who wants to wipe the Jewish people out. It's Satan who wants to keep Jerusalem out of Jewish hands. It's Satan who wants to keep Jewish people away from Yeshua. It's Satan who does not want the Jewish people to welcome Yeshua back to establish his kingdom on the earth and to once and for all destroy the work of Satan. He doesn't want that to happen. So I stand with Israel today because God brought the Jewish people back. I stand with Israel today because I see it's Satan who wants to wipe them out. And I stand with Israel today because of the good that it does and to the extent it seeks to live harmoniously with its neighbors. At the same time, as a friend of Israel, I call the Jewish people to repent and turn to God. At the same time, as a friend of Israel, if Israel does wrong, I call it out and say, this is not just, this is not right. That's what real friends should do. All right, your calls, 866-348-7884. That is the number to call any Jewish-related question of any kind. Phone lines are open.
the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yes, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is forever. Michael Brown, welcome to the broadcast. 866-348-7884. Again, any Jewish-related question of any kind is kosher on our Thursday broadcast. All right. If we only bring one bus to Israel, that's what we've done on, on previous trips. We had a second bus. We would have had a couple of buses, and that was our, our cutoff limit with the trip that we had to cancel due to COVID a couple years back. But May 23, May uh, 2023, if we only take one bus, which is the initial plan, we've only got, oh, 20-something seats left. You know, we announced it, immediately got people signing up. So we don't know if we're going to take a second bus yet, all right? But if you're thinking of going, wanting to go, Check it out now, askdrbrown.org. You'll just see it right on our homepage after a few seconds. Check it out. Tell your family, tell your friends. Pastors, maybe you've really wanted to bring a few people to Israel, but haven't been able to organize the tour. You don't have enough people. So come with five, ten of your people. Join in together. It'll be an incredible time. But if you're planning on signing up, do it now. Because if we get just a little over one bus, then, then we're going to cut it off there. If we get a lot more, then we'll consider a second. So just, just letting you know so that you can plan accordingly. Again, that's at the website, askdrbrown.org. All right. Uh, just some news to share with you. And this is over on the Israel Hayom website. Hayom meaning today in Hebrew. World Cup 2022 booking site replaces Israel with occupied Palestinian territories. Yeah, so this is a site you, you're going to go to the World Cup, one of the big sporting events in, in uh, when it happens. It's, it's not every year. It's a massive worldwide sporting event. World Cup 2022, one of the sites where you can book. Israel's, is, Israelis were allowed to travel to Qatar to attend Football matches from November 20, so soccer from November 21st to December 18th, 2022, despite Doha not having diplomatic ties with the Jewish state. However, however, if you wanted to reserve your tickets for the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar, uh, then you didn't find Israel on the list of countries, but you're allowed to select occupied Palestinian territories as their location instead. That's not a surprise. It's not a surprise at all uh, in the Muslim world that that's the case. But with the Abraham Accords, with relationships opening up more with Israel and the surrounding nations, with some unprecedented things taking place, it still is a reminder that for many, Israel does not have the right to exist. You have to understand, friends, just go through a little history here. When, when Israel became a nation again in 1948. It considers itself the state of Israel because not all of the Jewish people there, then it would ultimately be the, 
the country, the nation of Israel, but considers itself the state of Israel right now, Medinat Yisrael. But when it was announced in 1947 and then officially declared in 1948, that brought all-out war by the surrounding Muslim nations. In, in other words, it was not a matter of, okay, you can have this part of the land, but not the rest. You can have this part of the Jerusalem, but not the old city. You can have this part of, of the nation here, but not these other parts. No, no, no. It was, you can have none of it. In other words, as a Jew living there in the land, now under the control of the British, say in 1940, okay, you can be there and, and you may be working side by side with Muslims, Christians, and other groups and things like that, but you don't own this land in a national way. You can be a Jewish landowner within the land. Uh, you're, you're in the minority, but you can be a Jewish landowner within the land. You can even have Muslim Arabs working your farm. But you do not have the right to own this land. This is your nation. That No, 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 absolutely not. Absolutely, un under no circumstances. Now remember, before this moment, right, Jews and Arabs, Muslim Arabs and the Christian Arabs as well, were living side by side in the land. Yes, there were conflicts. There was what you would call an intifada in the 1930s under Haji Amin al-Husseini, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. He was a real provocateur and, and became a friend of Hitler. And there were many in the Muslim world who were cheering Hitler on and, and wanting him to finish the job of destroying the Jew. So tremendous anti-Semitism existing in the radical Muslim world. So these, these things were there. The sentiments were there. But they were still for the most part, living peacefully side by side, right? Now that this was going to become an official Jewish state, that's when all hell broke loose. You cannot be here. You must leave. So when the war broke out, again, the surrounding Arab nations attacked Israel. Yes, you had small Israeli groups that were engaging in acts of violence against the British, against Muslims. You did have that going on. But the war broke out with the surrounding nations declaring war on Israel. Israel's leadership, the senior leadership was saying, let us live in peace side by side. The senior Arab leadership was saying, we're going to drive you into the sea. So yes, in the midst of war, atrocities are committed on all sides. In the midst of war, things happen that you regret. That happens on all sides. But the idea that this was a genocide of the Palestinians, there was not even such a thing as the Palestinians at that point. The Palestine Post was a Jewish publication now known as the Jerusalem Post. The Palestinian Orchestra was the Jewish Orchestra, all right? There was no national identity of the land of Palestine for the Muslims there that, it, that had never been. It was part of greater Syria and, and related to other parts of Jordan, Egypt, and things like that. Okay, so... This is just history. It's really hard to deny much of this as it unfolds. About 200,000 of the local Arab population ends up staying, and that has grown to well over a million and a half, probably is approaching two million today. And they have rights as Israeli citizens. They vote. They're in the parliament. They have parties in the parliament. They have a Supreme Court justice. They work in every area of the society. Now, many are still hostile to Israel and feel that there's not fair treatment for others, etc. 
But in point of fact, they stayed, they thrived. The others, maybe 600,000, left. And you say, well, Israel drove them out. Well, there was a war. So some did get driven out, for sure. But many left because they were told by the Arab leaders that Canaan can't distinguish between a Jew and an Arab. Get out, we'll drive them into the sea, and then you come back to your homes. Well, that never happened, hence the refugee crisis. And remember, if the war had not started, then Israel would not have driven these people out of their villages and homes. And again, much of it was just conflict of war. Much of it was people fleeing on their own. At the same time, 800,000 Jews were driven out from the surrounding Muslim nations where they lived when, when Israel became a state. They were forcefully driven out. Many of them now took refuge in Israel. The Arabs who left or were driven out were not given refuge in the surrounding Muslim Arab nations, which is how we got the, quote, refugee crisis that continues now multi-generational. The only one like this in the world. You have refugees who get resettled and, and, and relocated, and that's it. No, not this time. These are permanent refugees, and, and it's a concerted way to try to make Israel bad and put Israel under pressure. When you hear the saying, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. It's, it's a well-known saying that's chanted, that's recited. Some of us even called out Van Jones when he used to be on CNN for, for saying that or retweeting that. What you're saying is Israel does not have the right to exist. From the river, meaning the Euphrates River in, in the east to the sea, meaning the Mediterranean Sea in the west. So where Israel is between that, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. It means get rid of the Jewish state. That's what it means. It doesn't mean even restrict to, to pre-1967 uh, borders when Israel expanded its territory in the Six-Day War. It, it doesn't mean that. It, it doesn't mean go back to 1948. No, no, no. That saying means no more Israel as a nation. And what's interesting, as you have negotiations and things like that, say with, with Palestinian Authority and things like that, because Israel's not negotiating with Hamas, whatever would be controlled by Palestinian Authority would be free of Jews. So you have a couple million Arabs living right within Israel as part of, of Israel proper. They call themselves Palestinians, right within, uh, under the Israeli government and under Israeli law. No problem. You have Jews living under the Palestinian Authority. No, no, no. Whatever will be official Palestinian territory will be unified, to use the terrible German phrase, free of Jews. So that's, that's the debate. It is existential about the existence of Israel, not simply a matter of borders and disputes. Okay, we come back. I will go straight to the phones, catch up on some more news. Maybe we'll open up the Hebrew language as well. 866 84, that's the number to call with your Jewish-related questions. And we will be right back as John Cooper and our friends from Skillet lead us into the break.
Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire. Michael Brown, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to the broadcast and to join in. If you've got a Jewish-related question, 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. About 43 minutes from now, we will be coming back onto our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown. Those of you who are watching live on YouTube, you can wave me. Oh, in fact, make sure you click. I always forget to tell folks, make sure you click thumbs up on on that YouTube video or like it just helps spread it to more. Take a second and do it if you're watching on YouTube. But we'll be back at 4.15 Eastern time. So 15 minutes after this broadcast ends, we'll be back 4.15 Eastern time with our weekly Q&A chat. We, we missed it a couple of weeks, eager to be back with you. So that's a great time for you to post questions. Tell your friends they can join in there if you're unable to call. It's a great, great, a great time, a great time to post your questions. So can't wait to be with you there. But right now, we're here, so let's go to the phones. We'll start with Michael in Lake Stevens, Washington. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Uh, My question is, is there any historical uh, scholarly uh, documentation on how the Jews after 70 AD were transported captive from Judea to Germany? If that makes sense. I know it's a mouthful. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, from Judea to Germany, right? So, Correct. right. So, what you want to read for that is any of the major histories of Israel. Uh, there are quite a few. If if you if you just get online and search, you know, any, anywhere you buy your books for a history of Israel, the major histories will do their best to trace these things. Some are just for biblical history. Some are for the modern history of Israel. Uh, but the comprehensive ones, there, there, there are quite a few that have been written over the years. But here's here's the challenge. All right, exactly how you got from point A to point B. Like sometimes, or uh, let's say from A to Z. In some cases, Michael, you can clearly say we here's how we got from A to J, and then we're a little fuzzy, and now we can see clearly how we got from P to Z. But, but that bridge is not as clear. So what, the best we can tell, just the larger question, is that as Jewish people were scattered around the world and then emigrate to other countries, sometimes it's a period of time you're in another country, then you get kicked out there because you don't conform to the Muslim or Christian views, or it's just difficult and you move on somewhere else. You know, groups do emigrate. These things happen. You know, you can... You can go around the world and you can meet, say, people from the Philippines, right? You know, and they, they serve in different countries and then they get planted there. So at, at a certain point, these Jews who were making their way through Europe got to a fairly small number. This is the background to Ashkenazi Jews, as best as we can tell. They got to a fairly small number. So it was, it was not hundreds of thousands, but more like thousands and then as they began to intermarry with Europeans, so Caucasian Europeans who converted to Judaism and became part of the Jewish people, 
been those are the ones ultimately who made their way to Germany and some of these other European countries. So it's kind of like you get like a, a, a bottleneck and, and then it opens up again. And uh, the other thing that you can trace, interestingly, is some DNA studies that are done. And they'll look at, at some of these as well. So here's what I'll do, Michael. Uh, during the break, because I want to mention a couple of DNA ones that I want to check for, for the best titles. During the break, I'm going to pull some of these up. And then after the break, if you keep listening, I'll mention a couple of titles that are recommended that have kind of traced these things via DNA studies as well. Okay? All right. Yeah. So, so what I'm going to do that that's the large answer of how it happened, and even the origins of the Ashkenazi Jews. The uh, the myth that Ashkenazi Jews are primarily converts of the Khazar Kingdom is just a myth that should be completely dismissed and has been dismissed by most scholars. But I, I did read as as I was studying some of these issues, not just the not just the history in terms of of. Um, historical records, archaeological records, literary records, and things like that, but tying in the DNA, that was very, very interesting, and it was a way to trace geographical patterns of migration and things like that. I do reference some of this if you have the new edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, the new edition that came out in 2019. I do reference some of these issues, and I do foot the notes in there, but I'll, I'll tell you some of the other things that I recommend during the break. All right, now that I know your specific question. I'll get the reference during the break and then come back on the air. All right, um, let's go to Texas. Josiah, you are on the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Michael Brown, how are you? Doing great, thanks. Oh, that's awesome to hear. So I had a question. I was curious about uh, early Jewish converts of the faith and what their views concerning baptismal regeneration uh, particularly um, because, like, I listen to a lot of, like, Catholics or Eastern Orthodox people talk the entire church beliefs, and I wanted to know what early Jewish converts thought about this. Right, so we don't have a lot of writings of Jewish believers in Yeshua outside of the New Testament documents in those immediate centuries. You know, most of the writings we have from those that become known as the Church Fathers, they were Gentile Christians, uh, and they would refer to other Jewish believers and things like that. So when you just look at the New Testament itself, you can have the debate, does it teach baptismal regeneration or not, based on the New Testament documents written by these Jewish believers themselves. But the answer to the question and step outside the New Testament and even outside the church and to ask, what did the Jewish world believe about baptism? So we understand that ritual immersion was taught in the Torah, right? That, that priests would have to wash themselves before going in to minister in the temple. That if you became ritually unclean, you accidentally touched a dead animal. Now you're ritually unclean. You have to stay out of the camp for the night. And then you, you wash and, and you use these ritual waters for cleansing. So ritual cleansing was already instituted in the Torah. And then it became much, much more widespread. You could have communities, say, like at Qumran, as best as we understand, that, that there would be regular immersion in water for purification. So this would be on a regular basis or before the Sabbath or daily for ritual purification. And as, as folks that come to Israel with us know, 
or have been to Israel on their own, if, if you go before where the temple used to stand, you'll see these numerous baptismal pools. You'll see steps going down and then what would be the, the pool of water and then steps going up because you would, you would immerse before going into the temple, etc. So this was widely practiced as a rite of purification and as a rite of repentance. This is why John the Immerser is preaching repentance and it is followed by water baptism or immersion in water. So was there a concept of baptismal regeneration in Judaism at that time? Certainly not. There was a concept of repentance, of forgiveness, of cleansing, of renewal, but not regeneration. So if that was taught, it would have been something new that the first followers of Jesus were teaching. It would not have been something coming from the Jewish culture. I do not believe the New Testament teaches it either, but I do believe the New Testament emphasizes the importance of baptism in a way beyond how many of our churches do today. So I don't accept baptismal regeneration, but I believe we need to restore the importance of baptism uh, as, as, as an essential rite following salvation. Uh, the other thing that Judaism would not have been familiar with would have been immersing babies. This was an, a, an act of purification and repentance for a believer, for, uh, for an adult uh, as opposed to for a baby. So the concepts of infant baptism, the concept of baptism regeneration would not have been known in the ancient Jewish world. These would have been innovations and I simply do not see those innovations taught in the New Testament. May I, may I ask you a question about that? Sure. So, um, so this is that fascinating to me. So why do you think, uh, so you're talking about the nursing babies and you look at Acts, but this sign will be for you and your people um, would that have included uh, is baptism sort of uh, now supposed to be taking over circumcision? With no, no. So what, 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 what was the what was the call? What was what was the call? So Acts two thirty six. Peter ends his message. Let all the house of Israel know this: God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and cried out to, to Peter, "Men and brothers, what do we do?" Right? And then the response, repent and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus the Messiah for forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So what's the promise? That you'll receive forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit if you will repent and be immersed. So the, the promise is to those who God calls and who will repent and be immersed. To just immerse without the repentance would have been unheard of. That I can safely say, that if, that if this is an act of submission and contrition, and, and you were going to have baptism, immersion, without repentance, no, that would have been a foreign concept. So why is it that the early church got off on this? Well, customs arise. It happens. You, know, you have many different traditions. You have competing traditions. You have differences among the early believers. Uh, you, you have differences to this day between, say, Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox and, and Protestant and Messianic Jewish, and we're reading the same Bibles, but traditions come in, uh, new rites are, are introduced, these things happen. And it's understandable that with Judaism having the right of circumcision for males, that, that many Gentile Christians would find the importance of having a right for children uh, 
of both male and female and seek to institute something. So it, it's understandable how this happened, but everything, again, has to be tested by, by Scripture. And the fact is, if you'll read all the early church literature, you're not going to find unanimity on all these different points. You're actually going to find differences. And then some leaders ultimately, like an origin, highly esteemed, ends up getting rejected as heretical and things like that. So that's why we, we look with respect, we learn, but then ultimately we test everything by Scripture. That's, that's what has to be done. That's what we must do. Otherwise, we're guaranteed of getting off track. Hey, thank you so much for the call. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. That keeper's singing tells you it's Thursday, Jewish Thursday. Thanks so much for joining us on the Line of Fire. 866-34-TRUTH with your Jewish-related calls. If you're not getting my emails, don't forget to sign up to get them. You'll be edified, you'll be enriched, you'll be encouraged. We are here, friends, to infuse you with faith and truth and courage so you, wherever you are, can stand strong on the front lines of what God has called you to do. So go to the website, askdrbrown.org. Of course, it's free, and we want to pour into you on a weekly basis via emails, letting you know the latest resources we've been putting out. So much free material we have for you. So askdrbrown.org. And again, while you're there, you can pre-order. Do I want it? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I just got my copy and we don't, we didn't get the hundreds in our, our first order, but just got my advanced copy of the political seduction of the church. One of the most important books that I've ever written how millions of Americans have confused politics with the gospel. You want your eye open, eyes open as you read. And I believe many of you, some will be saying, ouch, but many will be saying, yeah, yes, 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 I saw, I knew, that's it, that's it. You're saying what I've felt and believed. So get hold of the book. You can pre-order a signed numbered copy on our website, askdrbrown.org. Okay, for Michael in Washington State, the book that I was looking for, Abraham's Children, Race, Identity, and the DNA of the Chosen People. It is by John Entine. Not sure if it's Entine or Entine, E-N-T-I-N-E. I, I, find, I found this to be interesting and written on a more popular level. I, I've, I'm, I am not a geneticist. I am not a scientist. So it helps me to read books that are more popularly written as well. I got others that were even more academic than this, but this is the one I was thinking about. Abraham's children, race, identity, and the DNA of the chosen people. And it, it will give you some of the, the history of where Jews have been in the world. All right, 25 minutes from now, we're back on YouTube. Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown on YouTube. We'll be doing our weekly Q&A chat. Before I go back to the phones, <clears throat> I was just thinking of Lynchburg a moment ago. 
glad to to have Nathan from Lynchburg on on the line here. When we think of poetry in English, we often think of rhyme. It can have meter. Not all poetry has rhyme, but much of it does in English. You know, someone will say something accidentally rhyme, and we say, you're a poet, you don't know it. Well, Hebrew poetry rarely rhymes. It, it is more about meter and structure of, of verses and lines and things like that. But Hebrew does frequently use alliteration, where you'll, you'll have a play on words. And sometimes there can be a rhyme, but otherwise a, a play on words or the same sound repeated. And one of my favorite verses in the Hebrew Bible that is full of alliteration uses the Hebrew word shuv, the root shuv, which means to turn around, to turn back. So it can be used in a spatial way. You're going on a journey. You're going this way. Now you turn around. You come back. But it's more commonly used in a spiritual way. Jeremiah uses it more than anyone. And Jeremiah 3 Again, one of my favorite verses. Let me say it first in Hebrew and, and look for the shuv sound. Shuvu banim shovavim. Erpa mushuvotechem. Let me say it again. Shuvu banim shovavim. Erpa mushuvotechem. Turn back, O back-turning children. I will heal your backslidings. That's my translation to get the, the back turned back, that all of that repeated. Turn back. Oh, back-turning children, I will heal your backslidings. All right, uh, let's go over to Nathan in Lynchburg, Virginia. Hey, Nathan, are you listening on radio right now? Yes. Great, great. Yeah, we've only been on the Lynchburg station for a number of weeks now, so uh, thrilled to be on there with you. Yes, what's your question, sir? Yes, I was wondering, how will they gather all the ten lost tribes of Israel um, if they've scattered like the wind all over the world. How, yes. how are they going to be able to do that? All right, three sides to that question. It's a great question. Number one, some of the people of Israel have been lost to history. In, in, in other words, they, they are no more identifiable. They are just mingled among the peoples of the world. And as those mingled among the peoples of the world, they, they've been lost. In other words, there has been destruction and there has been loss. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that there were parts of the northern tribes that were always part of the, the southern tribes as well, meaning you, you had those that lived in northern Israel. So you have the split, right, in, in the days of, of Rehoboam, the son of, of Solomon, grandson of David. You have the split, and Jeroboam takes the, the ten tribes in the north, and Rehoboam is left with the two southern tribes, and and then you have the priestly tribes are going to be mixed uh, among them, the, the, the people of, of Levi, right? But you had at different times, say during the days of Hezekiah and during the days of Josiah, you had the appeals to people from the north to come down and to repent. So you always had part of, of the 10 tribes as part of the larger Jewish people. That's why Paul can reference speaking to Sanhedrin in Acts 23, he can reference the 12 tribes of Israel. Or James, Jacob, in the first chapter of his book, can write to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. That's why the New Testament can reference people, but like Anna, for example, in Luke 1, who was not from the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Benjamin, right? 
So you had remnants of all the tribes of Israel, likely among the kingdom of Judah and then among the Jewish people. So that would mean right now in Israel, there are people representing all 12 tribes, even if we can't trace it back specifically. That being said, I do believe that there are remnants of the 12 tribes still scattered around the world. I did a fascinating interview with a rabbi in Israel a few years ago that kind of went viral on our website. He got attacked by a lot of people for positions he was espousing. But, you know, if, if you look in Afghanistan, the Pashtun people out of whom the Taliban come, they, they have some traditions that could well trace them back as some of the lost tribes. But the Taliban, well, among them, potentially, you know, they'll have circumcision on the eighth day or Sabbath observance or dietary laws. So you have this with these different groups, the, the same with different groups in, in Africa, like the Lemba tribe in Zimbabwe. Of course, that many of them are priestly, but you have this with different groups in Africa. In fact, as I've been informed and learned over the years, these, these were some of the groups that came over to America as some of the slaves, and, but they maintained a historic Israelite Jewish identity. Out of this is where the black Hebrew Israelite cult emerged. In other words, out of a remembrance of Israelite Jewish identity in Africa, that now the notion became all blacks are Israelites. All blacks, uh, Africans are Israelites, and all these others are imposters. That's, that's what it came, but it came out of some historical memory, apparently. So, number one, some are lost. That They're gone. Individuals, not whole tribes. Number two, remnants of the 12 tribes are found among the Jewish people today. Some can trace that, others cannot. And then lastly, uh, people are bringing them back right now. There are rabbis working with these different groups in different parts of the world, be it India, China, Africa, wherever, and say, hey, you're, you're actually got Israelite history. Come back. Israel's your home. And there are others that I believe God will just bring back at, at that time. All right. Um, I guess Nathan's just listening without being on the air. Yes, yeah, so Nathan, I, I believe there are others that God will sovereignly bring back at the end and that there will be a highway, a supernatural highway into the land of Israel where God brings people back at the end. So that's as best as I understand it. Some lost forever, some among the, the Jewish people to this day, others being brought back and some, we don't know who they are, what groups they are, but God does and he will bring them back on that day. There is a myth of the 10 lost tribes. That's an overstatement. And the 10 lost tribes in some Jewish tradition are living on the other side of this mythical river and will one day be discovered. That's a myth. But tribes of Israel, remnants being scattered to different parts of the world and being discovered to this day. Yes, very interesting phenomenon that continues. Hey, to all our friends in Lynchburg listening, Welcome to the broadcast. I think of Lynchburg often because our eldest granddaughter, Eliana, on her way into her senior year of college now at Liberty and loving being there. Of course, Lynchburg is much more than Liberty. But uh, so glad to have you as listeners. As we're on new stations, I try to remember to call out the new stations, but we welcome you from the heart. If you're not getting my emails, take a moment to do it. We've got tons of online resources for you. Every week, normally five or six new articles being posted, new videos being posted. And then, of course, 
our, our broadcast as well is live streamed as I wave at everyone on YouTube and Facebook watching. So thanks for joining us. And let us pray for the salvation of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yes, God has brought the Jewish people back to the land, but above all, he desires to reveal his son, Yeshua, the Messiah, to each and everyone. Let's pray for that. If you're a Jewish person listening and you don't agree with me on that, go to my website, realmessiah.com. realmessiah.com. Check it out for yourself. God bless. Another program powered by the Truth Network.